Well, good morning, faithful remnant. <laughs> those who have night class maybe tonight or those who just realize how much it costs actually to skip a class. Uh, it's a lot of money. So uh, sometimes uh, you just need to hit the road and take a break. I get it. So uh, turn to someone, give them a hug. And by the way, as you give them a hug, describe to them what your favorite Thanksgiving food is. All right? Yeah. All right, don't go too crazy here. We're not on break quite yet. My favorite part, here it is. Favorite part of Thanksgiving is the turkey with the cranberries. Second, pumpkin pie, but the turkey has tryptophan in it, or tryptophan. You know what I'm talking about? It's that little amino acid that makes you uh, sleepy. Oh, you eat the turkey, you turn the football game on, and you kind of doze. It's that little in-between, oh, baby. I love that. Except my grandkids are in town. They're going to be jumping on me. But, uh, hey, we have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, one little announcement before we pray. Uh, there is no, I think we could all get this, but there's no Hosanna tonight. Well, you could show up and just be by yourself. <laughs> First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, teach us to be thankful and to give praise, because most often when good things have happened, at least in my life, um, I think it's because of something I did or some virtue that I possess, and I act as if I've done it on my own. But I know, as James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, down from the Father of heavenly lights. And so we give you thanks that we've made it this far, that we haven't given up. Some of us here are three-quarters the way through our first semester of college. Yeah, that we're here in this place right now. And we give you thanks for our families for our friendships, for the opportunities we have to attend college, for that one paper we did not do so well in, for our professors, for this country, with all its blessings and flaws, we stop now and say thank you. And Jesus, for those who are here who are struggling to find any sense of thanksgiving because their last month's and the past few days maybe have been filled with turmoil and anger and hopelessness or grief, Lord, be especially with them. It's easy to forget that many uh, who are with us maybe in this very room, the holidays for them aren't filled with thanksgiving and cheer because instead they're filled with pain and suffering. And it was a hard year for me, Lord. So I'm challenged to be more than just thankful I'm challenged to do something even more difficult. I'm challenged, and maybe we're challenged, to trust you. So, Lord, I proclaim to those in this room who are struggling with thanksgiving and are going through times of suffering that 
A heart of gratitude means more than just saying thank you. It means trusting that you are who you say you are. Believing that you are good, that you are love, and that you are for us, not against us. Gratitude means more than just saying thank you. It means believing that even when all hell breaks loose, that you are with us, you never fail, that you are still working in the midst of wars and racism and tsunamis and California fires and floods and our own family's dysfunctions, that you are still working all things towards that which is good. And so I choose to trust, to trust and to believe that instead of trusting my anger, my resentment, my disbelief, or my doubt. May we be challenged to be more than thankful this holiday season. In the midst of our celebrations and our pains, may we choose to trust you again. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kent. That was a good word. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this, this Thanksgiving Eve, Thanksgiving break Eve. Uh, and hey, some balcony back there, way to go, that's strong, love, love seeing that. A little smaller balcony today because we knew, you know, a lot of folks were out of town. One quick uh, order of business for us in case you had a double take this morning. There is someone here who, who looks a lot like me but it's not me. That's my brother, my brother Sage and his wife Whitney are here visiting somewhere in the room. I don't know where they are. Oh, they're there. <laughs> they're welcome. So glad they're here. We're going to go have some Colorado time with the family, uh, with some grandparents and Everything uh, later on this afternoon, actually. So excited about that. It was a nice spring day in college when my friend Sean and I decided to go get one, one more day of skiing in. We hopped in his Ford F-250 and went up to the mountains, had a great day skiing, snowboarding together, and we're on our way down. And the, the hills coming down the highway on the mountains in Colorado, they're kind of these valleys and, and mountain hills, valleys, mountain hills, even as you're coming down. So we're coming down, and this gas-guzzling hunk of steel F-250 had used gas so quickly that it had two gas tanks, one on each side. And, and you could, you know, you had a little switch you could flip. So we're going down, and Sean says, oh, this one's, this one's getting low. Better switch over the other one. Switches over, and he goes, oh. <laughs> and we all know what that meant. I thought that one was full. Oh. And so I immediately hit, hit, just like all of you would have as well, I'm sure, went into, okay, how are we going to fix this? What can we do? How can we make this work? So I said, okay, Sean, whatever you do, don't stop the car. Don't touch the brakes, okay? We're gonna, once, once we start slowing down, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll hop out. I'll start pushing. You kind of steer, you know, and push. And we're going to get this thing up the hill. And we're going to wait at a gas station. And so, and then you have to remember, this is in my football playing days when I was a much larger human being. And... <laughs> I had a little more momentum to push behind that thing. So, so we did it. We get down, we start pushing and push and push and push. Sean, don't give up. Don't give up, Sean. Go, go. Don't give up. We're going to make it. Don't lose the momentum. We're going and we get and we push and push and finally get to the top of the hill and, and, and top of the hill and, and we, we hop in the car and we're out of breath and we look up and we just see a valley and another hill. And beyond that, a valley and another hill. And we think, we're never going to make it. We coasted. We tried the next hill. Didn't make it. Pulled over. A policeman came by really soon after that and said, I, I got this report that some crazy guys were pushing an F-250 up the mountains. 
I had to come see for myself if it was true. I didn't believe it. And he would say, yeah, it was true. He said, you guys are crazy. He, went and got, he and Sean went, got some gas and we got home. That at time, pushing the F-250, reminds me that when it's all on us, even if we can get up one hill, we can't get up them all. We can't get all that far when it's all up to me. We're going to talk more about that today as we continue our series on redefining righteousness, how Jesus redefines what it means to be right with God and right with each other in the Gospel of Matthew. Last week, we talked about our true north, right? What is, it, what is God's will for our life? Jerry Sitzer wrote a great book about this. If you want it, want it fleshed out more than last week's sermon and more clearly. But we said our, our direction, our God's will for us is to respond to God's love for us by loving God and loving others. It's really simple. That's God's will for us every moment of every day. And now today, we're coming to the, to the last chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew 28 Right at the end here, and we need to kind of set a little context before, before we read our text today. Remember, the disciples have been with Jesus for three years, approximately, at this point. They've been walking with him, seeing him proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. And not just speak it, but actually embody it. He's been healing people who have been sick or injured or, or uh, lame for their whole lives. He's been casting out demons. He's been restoring people to community. He's been teaching about God with this authority that seems like they haven't heard before and talking about a God that, that seems more about human flourishing and less about rules and yet demands everything of us. This Jesus is te- teaching about this kingdom and the disciples have seen this in them and in him and of course they're remembering back to the picture that they learned through their Jewish upbringing of this God who created the world for it to flourish for people to, to join God in his, in his caring for and stewarding and ruling over the earth in right relationship with him and others. They remember the way that even in the midst, even in the midst of human sin and rejection of God, that God didn't give up. That God's redemptive plan continued through the people of Israel. As God said, I'm going to choose this people to show myself to the world. And we're still, I'm, I'm not giving up to make this world right. They remembered, they remembered that redemptive plan. And of course, they saw in Jesus Maybe he's the one who's going to fulfill God's redemptive purposes that we were hoping for. And they saw that the, at the triumphal procession, everyone putting their palm branches down saying, yes, here he is, he's coming. Things are going to go right now. The Savior is here. And they had so much hope and so much expectation. And then things went south. Click. Jesus is arrested. The disciples flee. Peter denies Jesus. Some faithful women disciples watch Jesus hung on a cross and die. Two renegade Pharisees come and take down the body and bury it in a new tomb. Jesus is dead, and the story is over. The story is over. The truck's out of gas. There's nowhere to go. And so the disciples do what we would all do. They reach into their own human capacities, their own human knowledge, their own human resources, and say, what can we do now? What can I do now? How am I going to fix, make it work, 
push up the next hill. What can I do? And so the, 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 the 12 and maybe some other men up with them in the upper room are hiding and saying, uh, how are we going to manage life now? What if they come to arrest us next? And here we come to our text, Matthew 28, verse 1. See some of the faithful women. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Some of the other accounts in the Gospels tell us that they were coming with spices and burial cloths to anoint Jesus' body for burial, to properly bury him. What can I do? What can I do for my home and resources? I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to, with my agenda, my understanding, my skills, I'm going to make something better. At least I can wrap his body up. That's a good, loving act, but also a heavy, mournful act, and not much fruit that comes from wrapping up dead bodies. Not much life or flourishing that comes from that. Do you ever face things that Kent was talking about? Do you ever think about the challenges and feel like just one hill after another, and you're calling your own resources and think, but I can't make it anymore. My own self, my own struggles, my own lack of discipline, my own self-hatred, my own uh, ways I don't live the way I want to live. Or my loved ones, thinking about being with them at, at Thanksgiving and how the brokenness around me and how can I, how can I make it better for my, my sister or my brother or my mom or my dad or my cousin. I got it. It's just, but there's so much. Or our world where the brokenness goes on and on and racial injustice and division and war and poverty near and far. One hill after another. I'm going to try, but I just don't think I can make it up another hill. This is where the women are as they come to that tomb on that Sunday morning, burdened, tired, unsure, doing what they can with their own strength. And now we read verse 2. Everything changes. Everything changes. Let's read this one together, would you? It's always fun to read God's Word together. Ready, set, go. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone, sat on it, his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. All of a sudden, Earthquake, stone rolled back, angel of light, fear, do not fear. He has been raised. Jesus is alive? Jesus is alive. 
everything changes. And as they go, Jesus comes to them. Just like Jesus to do that right, they don't find him. He finds them. Jesus comes to them and they fall at his feet and they worship him in joy and fear. Jesus, you're alive. You're alive. This changes everything. Jesus, you're alive. God's redemptive plan isn't finished. There's more. It's still going. We hear after Jesus appeared for 40 days to the disciples in various ways, he then ascends. The living Jesus, bodily living Jesus, ascends just to be at the right hand of the Father where he reigns and says he's going to come back in the same way he went. The living Jesus right now with a body is reigning at the right hand of God. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And this changes everything. Jesus even now stands at the right hand of God, bringing us, clothing us in his righteousness. Talking about forgiveness. Jesus right now is standing on our behalf interceding for us. He lives to intercede for us, bringing us to God. He sends his spirit to unite us with him, remind us that we're his children, and he sends his spirit to send us out and empower us into his mission in the world as as he continues his redemptive work because he lives. He is active today. The living Jesus is actively working for the redemption of the universe today. This Jesus lives, and that changes everything. Verse 10, that Jesus says, see, it's not just that he lives, there's something else that happens too. He says to the women, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. See, Jesus is at work, the living Jesus is at work. He's reconciling the world to himself in Christ. He's making all things new. The living Jesus is building his kingdom, not our kingdom, his kingdom, And then, just like that day with the women, the living Jesus gives them and gives us a job. Invites us to participate in this redemptive work in the world as he is bringing about his purposes. There are three words I look about. Three big categories of ways that Jesus, God is at work and ways sometimes we think we need to fix ourselves in this world. Y'all can come on up. First one is Sanctification. Sanctification is a fancy Christian word for looking more like Jesus. Is sanctification my job? Is it my job to make myself right and fix myself, make myself look more like Jesus? No. The living Jesus is at work by his spirit transforming us to look more like him. That's his job. Jesus is doing that. But guess what? He also invites us to join him in that work to open our hearts up, to join in Christian community, to read the scripture, to pray, to serve, to trust as he makes us look more like him. How about evangelism? Helping others know Jesus. Is it my job to convert my family members, my friends, the ones I love, I long for them to know Jesus. I gotta get them, get them in or it's my fault. They might go. It's not my job. The living Jesus grabs their hearts, changes their hearts, reveals God to them. And yet, he invites us to join him, to faithfully witness to the amazing good news of Jesus, our Lord, who lives. How about justice? Things being right in the world. Is it my job to make things things right, to fix it all? 
make everything the way it was meant to be. No, of course not. That's not my burden. If I, if I try to carry that burden, I'm going to hit hill after hill after hill. But instead, that's the living Jesus' job. He's making all things new. He's the one who will restore all things in his kingdom reign. And yet, you know what's coming. We get to participate. He invites us to fight for what's right in this world, to join him, to give our all as he makes things right once and for all. The living Jesus is at work redeeming this world. The living Jesus is reigning today. The living Jesus invites us to join him. And so we joyfully, as his people, join him in every bit of our lives. Let's stand and sing to that King God. Amen. So we go from here knowing that Jesus lives and reigns. He is king. And so we can seek him first and trust him and know the burden's not on our shoulders. And so go from here to Thanksgiving break to trust and live in the light of the living Lord Jesus. Whoever lives and reigns with God the Father now and forever. Go in peace and happy Thanksgiving.